I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 24 to 26, Solomon writes, When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. In the context of this passage, we have to remember that Solomon has handed the microphone over to the voice of wisdom, whose words of advice are now being contrasted with the words of the adulterous woman in the previous chapter. We have to remember that when Solomon writes about wisdom, many times wisdom actually represents Jesus Christ, since, as Paul told the church in Corinth, Jesus became our wisdom from God. So, with that in mind, remember, our previous passage told us that wisdom has existed since everlasting. In our passage today, We learn more about the existence of the wisdom of God as revealed in Jesus. You know, people often liken Christians to ancient civilizations who taught that the world was flat or, you know, thought that the earth was literally in the center of the universe. The Bible never spells it out that way. Those were assumptions that early theologians and philosophers might have held apart from Scripture, but there's no place in Scripture that teaches such false ideas. Instead, what we find is that the Bible actually supports many scientific discoveries. For example, Job chapter 26, verse 7 teaches that God hangs the earth on nothing. We don't need to go out into outer space to verify that. It's in God's word. It's been there all along. And in fact, this was the first book of the Bible ever even written. And here we find a scientific truth that hadn't been verified until centuries later. Here in our passage today, we find that the Bible teaches yet another specific scientific truth, that there was a time when there were no depths. This time, more specifically, was before the mountains were settled and before the hills appeared on the face of the earth. Of course, all of these geological fixtures appeared only after a lot of time had passed by, during which the tectonic activity in the earth caused both heights and depths to simultaneously appear. Now, if this really did take billions and billions of years, as many claim and even more people believe, how could Solomon possibly have known this? You know, nobody has ever looked at a mountain and said, you know, I could swear that this mountain is half an inch higher than it was when I was born 50 years ago. The naked eye just can't perceive these types of changes, and any instruments that they might have had to measure such growth back in Solomon's day would have been well, questionable at best in terms of accuracy. The only way that Solomon could have known this is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The next thing that we learn about wisdom is that she existed before the dust of the world had been created. Now, a lot of people might look at this and wonder how that could be possible since the earth or the world is composed of dust, at least to an extent. The most likely explanation seems to be that this word dust can also be translated as ash. For example, we find this same Hebrew word in Numbers chapter 19, verse 17, where we read, Then, for the unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the burnt purification from sin and flowing water shall be added to them in a vessel. So the first ashes of the earth would have most likely been created by volcanic activity. Wisdom is saying, I was there. In fact, what we see here is that Solomon is teaching that wisdom has existed since the foundations of the earth, and even before that. The book of Genesis starts off by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. In the midst of what sounds like a very simple and yet perhaps confusing beginning of the earth, wisdom was already firmly established from eternity. Maybe the reason that Solomon starts from eternity and brings us through these verses is to tell us that even the most significant geological events in the history of the entire earth 
were unable to shake or move wisdom. The wisdom of the Lord is built on an unshakable foundation and is firmly secure and thus worthy of being trusted. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 27 to 31, Solomon writes, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundaries so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. In our passage today, Solomon continues to walk us through the very earliest stages of the creation of the material universe, showing us that the wisdom, which was embodied and personified by our Lord Jesus, has been there all along as an unshakable foundation. In our previous passage, we saw that wisdom was there when the earth was being formed. In this passage, we see that wisdom was there when the heavens were established. For the sake of clarification, maybe we should remember that there's a distinction between the heavens and heaven. The term heavens, plural, simply refers to the sky and the universe. All the planets and all the stars that exist, either now or ever, Wisdom preceded all of them and witnessed their creation. It's these heavens that declare the righteousness of God, according to Psalm chapter 97, verse 6. And the fact that they declare his righteousness leaves no person with an excuse, because the second half of this verse from the Psalms tells us, All the peoples have seen his glory. Anyone who sits under a starry night and gazes up is being shown the wonders and the righteousness of God's power and glory. And if they think about it, they'll have to come to the undeniable conclusion that all of those planets and all of those stars must have had a beginning, and whoever caused that beginning must be awesome beyond the ability of our imagination to fathom. Maybe the most amazing thing about the heavens is the order. I mean, think about it. Every single one of those planets and stars is constantly in motion, constantly in orbit. Each solar system and each galaxy is constantly in motion that's timed with mathematical precision, sometimes even down to the thousandth of a second. Solomon then turns our attention to the seas and to the depths of the earth. And this is actually still an area that mankind is exploring and learning more about. Our ability to predict activity within the earth is essentially non-existent. I mean, we have geologists who are able to say, you know, there should be a huge earthquake here sometime in the next 500 years, but they don't get a whole lot more precise than that. In response to the recent volcanic activity in Iceland, which has created huge amounts of ash and airborne debris, geologists have come out and said, we have no idea how long this will last maybe a couple days, maybe months. You know, while humanity strives to learn more and more about the world and the universe that we live in, Solomon makes it evident. He makes it clear for us that the wisdom of God was there when all of it was created. After the Battle of Marengo, Napoleon handed out a medal to those who lived through it, which simply said, I was there. That's what wisdom is telling us about the foundation of the earth in our passage today. The fact that wisdom in this passage, represents Jesus, is made evident by what we read in verses 30 and 31. Then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. The fact that wisdom refers to himself as a master workman corresponds perfectly with verses like John chapter 1 verse 3 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, which tell us that it was Jesus who created everything that began to exist, and that nothing 
nothing which exists came into existence apart from him. A master workman, indeed. There was never a time when Jesus didn't exist. He and the Father are coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal with the Holy Spirit and with each other. Three persons who are one in nature, essence, and substance. So with all of this in mind, and knowing that wisdom is an unshakable foundation, the person who possesses the wisdom of the Lord puts their trust in Jesus. There has never been a wise person who has ever existed in all the history of the earth who failed to trust in him. The wise person is quick to proclaim, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. He's a firm foundation. This concludes lesson two. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 32 to 36, Solomon writes, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Wisdom has been described and depicted as a wise woman who offers sound and practical advice to everyone. She's located in visible places where everyone can see, and thus nobody has an excuse for not following her words. We've seen that her instruction is better than material wealth, better than prosperity, and that everyone who loves her is able to receive the love that she has for them. We've also seen that wisdom has coexisted with God the Father for all of eternity and was there to witness the foundations of the earth. Not only that, But as we saw in the previous passage, wisdom, who represents Jesus in this context, is referred to by Solomon as a master workman, in light of the precision with which the universe is put and held together. With all that in mind, wisdom issues the same urging that Solomon has urged his own son. Listen. A very simple command, but one which can be completely ignored, as any of us who are parents can attest to by the time our kids are old enough to move out. For the person who refuses to listen, there's heartache in life, hardship, and ultimately, death. But wisdom says, blessed are they who keep my ways. There's blessing and reward for those who listen and learn the wisdom of God. Wisdom reiterates this promise, saying, Blessed is the person who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. The wisdom of God isn't something that you can listen to just one time and feel like you've got it down pat for the rest of your life. No, instead, it's a daily thing. The godly life is a hard road to travel, and we're all bound to stumble on this path from time to time. The only way for us to learn is to make time to listen to wisdom every single day. The person who watches daily at the gates and waits at the doorposts is eager to listen and learn. They don't do it begrudgingly. They do it cheerfully. Wisdom again gives us a promise of blessing, telling us that whoever finds her finds life and favor with the Lord. We're not talking about physical life here. No, we're all under the curse of Adam, the curse of sin, which involves physical death. There's a better life than that, though, a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. See, we're born spiritually dead, but when a person receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're infused with a new life. They become a new creation. The old person dies and is spiritually united with Christ. In the eyes of God, we become one with Christ. In the previous passage, we saw that God the Father rejoices and takes delight in Jesus as the one and only Son of God. And for that reason, Jesus has favor with the Father. 
So because we're united with Jesus, we too are on the receiving end of that favor. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we're conformed to his image. The more conformed to his image we are, the more we resemble him. The more we resemble him, the more we partake of that divine favor. But there are two sides to every coin. While the one side of this coin that we've already looked at involves unparalleled blessings and an overflowing and abundant life, the other side of the coin isn't quite so appealing. Wisdom says, But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. The person who hasn't been filled with everlasting life by the Holy Spirit remains filled with death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he said that, he meant that there is no other way, no other truth, and no other life. For someone to reject the life that he offers, one must love death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 told us that the wage of sin is death, right? But the Greek word in this passage for wage actually refers to the daily ration of fish that Roman soldiers once received. So the implication here is that the person who rejects the offer of life through Jesus is feasting daily on death. That's their daily ration. And this is a place and an existence that's void of any true joy or any true happiness, and it causes anger. That anger is often directed specifically at God, but it's probably just as frequently directed at God's children. When that anger causes the person who daily feasts on death to strike out at God, they only end up injuring themselves, which will almost always cause them to hate God even more. Fine, I'll just go back to feasting on death, is what they say. So life or death? The decision's yours. Whichever one you choose is much more than a reward or a consequence at the end of the road, though. It's a daily reality in the here and now. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, Solomon writes, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. You know, wisdom is finished telling us about herself for the time being. And with that, Solomon continues to contrast wisdom with the adulterous woman from chapter 7. Now, if you'll recall, the adulterous woman lives in a house in a shady, not-so-frequently-traveled part of town. Solomon told us about how she lured this naive kid to her home and engaged in adulterous sex with him. And Solomon secretly watched the whole thing go down. He now wants us to see that wisdom has a home that she, wisdom, invites people to as well. Solomon starts off by telling us that she's built her house and that it has seven pillars. Now, scholars are pretty divided on what these seven pillars might represent. Some say it's probably uh, the inner court of the temple, while others have made some pretty good and convincing arguments uh, for the possibility that it refers to the church in general. Either way, we might not be able to know exactly what this represents, but we do know one thing. We know that the number seven is very significant in scripture, and it represents God and his perfection. And so therefore, we can arrive at the conclusion that the house that wisdom abides in is built on the perfect wisdom of God. God. That's the very least that this verse reveals. From there, Solomon starts to unravel her preparations for anyone who comes to her house. He tells us that she's prepared food and mixed her wine. Now, when we talk about mixing wine in this context, in this culture, it refers to the ancient practice of mixing about one part fermented wine with up to about 10 parts water. There were a lot of dangerous things to be found in water, just like there are today, and mixing it with wine ensures that the water is safe. So not only has wisdom prepared food and 
drink, but she's got the table set. She's ready to host anyone who happens to show up for this feast. Those who are hungry, thirsty, or tired can stop in any time. And not only is this meal fully prepared, but Solomon tells us that she sent out her maidens and that she calls, inviting people from the highest point in the city. Now this sounds very familiar to a parable that Jesus told about a king who sent out his servants to invite anyone and everyone who would come to the wedding feast for his son. They're not sent out only to gather up a handful of individuals that the king himself arbitrarily pre-selected. Rather, the invitation is open to everyone, and the servants are instructed to invite everyone that they find. You and I fit in here as servants in this parable, and we're instructed to go out into the public arena and invite anyone who will listen to come to the wedding feast being held for the king's son. In this illustration from Proverbs, we find that while the adulterous woman invited only the one naive kid to her place, wisdom invites everyone, calling out to them. Those who serve her are also out, inviting everyone to come feast at wisdom's house. Jesus told the woman at the well that anyone who drinks of his water will never thirst again. There's a never-ending spring of life that wells up in the person who accepts that offer. Similarly, nobody leaves wisdom's house feeling unsatisfied or empty. I'm Toby Logson, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.